so glad you could join us for mornings at YCVC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. So last week we finished our series on John's Gospel. Uh, all 21 chapters have been covered now and, and uh, it was an exciting journey to go through that. But now at the moment all the eyes of our community are on uh, moving forward. Uh, governments are releasing roadmaps of, of how we're going to move forward from the impacts of coronavirus and there's, there's all these different things around that at the moment. The whens, the hows, the whats and the wheres. Uh, and these things are important to know. Um, and it's important to know those things when it comes to the church as well. Uh, and some of that stuff is still not completely clear. Uh, and, and so I want to say from, from a YCBC perspective, we'll communicate what that looks like, the whens, the whats, the hows, the wheres, when we know what that looks like. Uh, but I want to begin a series this morning that I'm calling Moving Forward. And, and I want to spend the next three weeks at least... Um, exploring what is important for YCBC as we move forward into the next season. We don't know all the tangible details around that, but but what is important? Uh, and so what I want to focus on is what I believe are weightier things than those when, what's, uh, and uh, the details of coming out of the coronavirus restrictions. Uh, I want to focus on more of the, the unseen things. And, and so over these three weeks, I want to explore key things around moving forward as a church. And so today our focus is going to be unity. And I believe strongly and firmly, and we're doing this first because this is the, the, the big thing, I think, for us as a church. The way to move forward as a church is unity. A few weeks ago, during our, uh, our John series, the, the, the Passion of the Christ According to John, the second half of John's Gospel, that series, we looked at chapter 17. We looked at Jesus' prayer for his church. Uh, I'm not going to explore that and unpack that again this morning. We've already been there a few weeks ago, but I do want to reread that part of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verses 20 to 23. Jesus prays for you and I in this way. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That's not just for the disciples that were in the room alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you in me just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. And so I want to say, I want to begin there this morning by saying that unity in the church is Jesus' idea. Unity in the church is Jesus' desire. And it's key, as he says, to our witness to the world. And so there are seasons throughout history that we can look back and say the church has done really well at unity. And there are seasons throughout history where we can look back and say the church has done really terribly about unity. And I think we need to recognize because it's so important to Jesus, because Jesus prayed for it, he identified it as being so valuable to him, we need to recognize that it's something that the enemy will target in the life of the church. And I believe that we need to be aware that the enemy will be targeting that now in the life of every church, including our own, as we move forward from the season that we've been in. The New Testament writes a lot about this idea of the church having to, to be united. 
Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, one of the key kind of portions of Scripture uh, on unity is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul begins kind of this section uh, that we've had read for us this morning in this way. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And so Paul appeals to the church in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no stronger framing he could give to this appeal. There's no greater importance or weight than he could possibly place on this appeal for unity in the church. He says in his appeal that there there should be no divisions among you. I urge you to have no divisions among you. The, the word there in the original language is a political term for political factions. And, and so Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, and this stands for the church throughout time, that there should be no factions. There should be no dividing into groups, into camps, into factions, uh, into, into interest segments uh, in a way that divides the church. Paul is saying that we should be undivided as a church. He goes on to unpack what undivided means. He says that we should be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, I don't believe that this is uh, to eliminate all diversity. Uh, This isn't to eliminate any conversations, any any kind of different ideas and thoughts within the church, but this is an explanation by Paul of the depth of unity that should be experienced in the church, that we would be of one heart, one mind, one thought as we follow Jesus. And so Paul appeals for the church to be undivided. And then he goes on in the next few verses that we've had read in verses 11 and 12 to to paint a picture of what it looks like in Corinth. He says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, we assume a member of the church in Corinth, have informed me that there are quarrels or arguments among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. One of you, another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's the, the, another name for Peter. And still another, I follow Christ. And so what is happening in the Corinthian church? They have done the thing that Paul's appealing for them to not do. They have divided. There's divisions, there's factions, there's camps, there's groups. There's, there's a broken church into broken pieces. And so in Corinth, the situation Paul's describing here is around different leaders or influences that different factions within the church are following. Some are following Paul, some are following Apollos, another preacher, some are following Peter, uh, some are following Christ. But the, the tone here isn't that you know, they're on the right page. It's like, well, I'm a, a real Christian because I'm following Christ. Uh, they've broken into factions. The exact thing Paul is calling them not to do. And while for them this is around different leaders, I believe that this applies to the church across a broad breadth of things that we might divide over. It it applies to anything that divides. We could today, if we put it in today's terms, it could be divisions over the left or right of politics. It could be divisions amongst, you know, the church around political parties, Labour, Liberal, Green, National, Independent, uh, whatever party. It could be divisions around whether we drink alcohol or we don't drink alcohol. It could be divisions around whether we've chosen to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. It could be divisions around decaf or regular coffee. There's so many things in the world today 
that if Paul was writing a letter to the church today, he might identify as the, the underlying things of the factions, the, the divisions within the church. Now, I don't think what Paul is saying, and I don't think what it means for us today, is that we can't, can have no conversation around things. Can we have conversations around our thoughts, our ideas, our ideologies, our philosophies? Of course, yes. Are some of these things important? Again, the answer is, of course, yes. But the truth of the scripture is that we must be undivided over such issues. When we have conversations about them, when, when we have dialogue about them, uh, even if they're really important issues for today, we must be undivided over them. The call on the church is to not form factions over the issues of this day. Division is not a new issue. It's not a new challenge for the church. It's why the call to unity shows up in so many passages of the New Testament scripture. And so we can't say it's Facebook's fault. We can't say it's Instagram's fault or, or, or news media's fault. We, we can't blame the technology of today for the challenge of division within the church. The issues may seem different today. But the real underlying issue is broken human nature. Our reasons for, for division are, are no greater than that than experienced in the New Testament, as, as extreme as they may seem in our present moment. The New Testament, they faced division over race, Jew or Gentile, which were kind of divisions that had lasted for thousands of years. They focused divisions over gender, which was more than just a gender issue that we might face today. It, it was such a social hierarchy issue that there was divisions over. They faced divisions over whether people were slaves or free people. It's, it's uh, huge social divides that the church was called to be united in spite of in the New Testament. And so what I want to say here is that we don't get to decide that the issues of our day are so significant they're worth dividing the church over. Because the church has faced different social issues, different divisions or re potential reasons for divisions for thousands of years. But this call has remained the same, that we would be undivided. Paul goes on to give us the reason why we cannot be divided as a church and also the thing that we need to unite around. In, in verse 13, Paul says this, Is Christ divided? He, he doesn't give us the answer, but of course the answer is no. He goes on to use himself as an example and he says, Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then he went on to, to unpack that even though he did baptize some people, it wasn't in his name. And so is Christ divided? Of course not. And so the church of Jesus Christ must not be divided either. Can another take his place? Can, can we substitute anyone else for Christ who's been crucified for us? The answer again is, of course not. No leader, not even Paul, no influence or issue can take the place of Christ in our life. We must fix our gaze upon him in order to be united as a church. As individuals, nothing, no influence can, can take the place of him in our life if we, if we are to move forward as a united church.
And so, church, we must fix our eyes on the heavenly and eternal and not be divided over the temporal and temporary. We must fix our eyes on the heavenly and eternal, and which is manifest most clearly for us in Jesus Christ, and not divide over the temporal and temporary issues of this day. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul gives another one of his appeals for the church to be united now to the church of Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4. Here he calls for the church to make every effort to keep unity. And so in verses 1 to 3 he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, Paul was in chains for preaching the gospel, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And so there Paul is talking to the church about keeping the unity of the Spirit together. And so Paul is in chains for the gospel. And so he uses that as leverage in a sense, as as an example in a sense, to call for the church in Ephesus, to call for us today to not be faint-hearted in our faith. He, he, He phrases it this way, live a life worthy of the gospel. Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received in Jesus. And then he goes on to to unpack what that worthy life looks like. And we're going to explore a bit more of that uh, in a moment. But but it all centers around this key thought. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Here he's speaking to the church. And again, he's urging them to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. And the point here I want us to grab for now in in this part of the, the message is unity takes effort. If it was natural, if it was easy, it wouldn't have been written about so much. The kind of unity the church is called to express is the kind of unity that seems completely unnatural in every other aspect of society. If it was easy and normal and natural, we wouldn't have so much about unity in the New Testament. Unity takes effort. And so I'm not in chains this morning. I'm I'm privileged to be in my own home. I'm privileged to be free. As much as uh, the restrictions might feel to stifle that freedom at the moment, we must realize that in Australia we're abundantly free, even in this moment. I'm not in chains, but I want to echo Paul's appeal. I urge Yas Community Baptist Church wholeheartedly with everything I have to make every effort to keep the unity of the church especially as we move forward from this season. I urge YCBC with my whole heart to make every effort to keep the unity of the church. In a moment, I want to focus on the first part of that passage a little bit more on what effort looks like, what what that worthy life looks like as as we pursue unity as a church. But, but I want to focus on the next few verses first, because here Paul expands out that idea of from Corinthians, is Christ divided? And, and he rams the, the point home even more thoroughly. Here's the reason for our unity. Here's the foundation of our unity in Ephesians chapter 4, verse um, 4 to 6. And, and um, 
if you take anything away from today, and I hope you take much away from today, but if you take any verse to, to pin on your wall, to, to write on your heart this morning, let it be these verses. There is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so whatever we think about the issues of our day, and there's a diversity of opinion amongst our church family, here is eternal truth that outweighs all of our thoughts and opinions about what's happening right now in the world. There is one body. One body of Jesus Christ, one body, the church. There is only one spirit, the Holy Spirit. There is only one hope. There is only one Lord. There is only one faith. There is only one baptism in which we're baptized into relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. There is only one God. There is only one Father over all of creation. And so is Christ divided? No. Can any aspect of our faith as followers of Jesus be divided? Let me spit it out better. Can any aspect of our faith as followers of Jesus be divided into any faction, any group? No. Whether we like it or not, whether we express it well or not, we are one body, the church. And so we need to make every effort to live that out. What does that effort look like? Well, I want to take you back earlier in Ephesians chapter 4, back to verse 2. Here the Apostle Paul says, well, let me read verse 1 as well. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to, re- to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He then says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then that flows. And these, these, those two thoughts are, are valuable in their own right. Be completely humble and gentle. And be patient, bearing with one another in love. Those are valuable and so important. And we should focus on them in their own right. But, but we also need to see that those find their fulfillment in making every, every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And, and so making every effort looks like being completely humble, being gentle. It looks like being patient and bearing with one another in love. And I actually want to pick up that second thought first and, and then we'll anchor in that first thought, humility, in a moment. And so here, the word for patience means forbearance or, or tolerance. And, and the words for bearing with one another actually could literally be translated, perhaps better, one commentary says, as simply putting up with each other. And so the effort of unity, the effort we put in to to ensure, to preserve, to keep the unity of the church is simply, to begin with, tolerating each other. Being, Being patient in our tolerance of each other and putting up with each other. And this is true especially, not not even when, but especially when we disagree, when we are frustrated. And when we are convinced that the person that we have this disagreement with is absolutely wrong, this scripture, this urging is still true of what we're called to do. To put up with each other. To be patient with each other. This is the effort that that keeps the unity of the church. 
Like I said, it's not that we can't have discussions with one another, that, that we can't talk about these issues, but, but ultimately, unity is preserved by tolerating and putting up with one another. And so this part of the effort is, is what focuses more on our interactions with others. It's kind of outside of ourselves. It's between us and others. That first thing that Paul says in, in Ephesians 4.2, being completely humble and gentle, that flows out to others, that flows out to our behaviours, but it, it's more a, an attitude within us. It's a hard attitude. It's, it's an inner world thing, humility and gentleness, that then you know, impacts the way we interact with others. And I want to say this morning, and the reason I flipped the order of these around is because I want to land here in humility. Because I believe that without humility, we have no even faint hope of a church being united. Humility and unity go hand in hand together. So many of these calls for the church throughout Scripture to be united are also simultaneously a call for believers to be humble. One of those examples, to jump out of Ephesians now for a moment into Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul again is appealing for humility in the church. <clears throat> and, and he says this, <clears throat> Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then it goes on to say, do not do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And so the Apostle Paul here is saying, if you get anything out of your faith, if you get anything out of your relationship with Jesus, if there's any benefit to you through having a faith in Jesus, then, then make his joy complete by being one in spirit. This is what he's saying to the, the church in Philippi now. And, and so I want to echo that call. If there's any value to you from your faith whatsoever, then I want to encourage you to, to go back to Ephesians to make every effort to keep the unity of the church. And Paul jumps straight from that appeal into an appeal for humility because humility is essential for unity. He talks about humility being putting others first, being putting, putting the needs of others first, putting the value of another person above the value of our own, putting uh, even the rights of others first. And this phrase, rights, is one that's begun to grate me a little bit as I, as I see it out there, uh, mostly online, not in personal conversations. Uh, this is not a church, <laughs> our church thing, but I see so often this, like, my rights as a Christian. Well, I want to say, church, that the only place that the, the Scriptures touch on the idea of rights is us contending for serving the rights of another, not claiming our own. And, and so humility looks like putting the needs, the rights the value of others first. And this is essential for the church to be united. I want to pick up one more verse, and it might not be one that you would expect in this conversation, but it's going back to 1 Corinthians, but now to 1 Corinthians 13. You know, you might be thinking, well, 
Isn't that the passage where Paul just talks about love and, and we read it at weddings? Um, well, yes, but there's this, this one verse in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 that uh, I think touches on this idea of humility and something I want us to think about it as we explore what it looks like to be united as a church. Paul says, for, for now, and, and he's talking about gifts of the Spirit here. He's talking about love, but I think it applies to, to our situation now as well. He says, for now we, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, he's talking about when the Lord returns, we shall see face to face. And here's what I want us to grab. He says, now I know in part, then I shall fully know, shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And it's that one phrase, now I know in part that I want us to grab. If the Apostle Paul, who has so much truth and revelation revealed to him by his encounter with Jesus, by his journey with the Holy Spirit, that, that even Peter, who was with Jesus in his earthly ministry, writes uh, about Paul's writings as authority of Scripture. If even Paul could say he knows in part now, then we have to accept the reality church for ourselves that we only know in part. Humility looks like valuing others above ourselves, their, their needs, their rights, um, their, their, their value as a human being, but it also looks like accepting that no matter how much we know, no matter how certain we are about our thoughts, our ideologies, our, our political leanings, our, our opinions about the issue of this day, it's only part knowledge. Now, I'm not saying that we don't study and learn and, and, and grow our knowledge in these areas. But what I am saying is that ultimately, it's part knowledge. We, we need to have a sense of humility around those things. And so what I want to encourage us to do is to hold a little more loosely to our convictions, to our ideologies, to our thoughts, our ideas, to our political leanings. Again, I'm not saying those things are not important. Please don't hear that. But what I'm encouraging us to do is to hold a little more loosely to them and at the same time cling tightly to Jesus because he is not part but the fullness of truth and so the appeal of the scripture and my appeal this morning is to make every effort to keep the unity of the church that looks like being patient putting up with each other that looks like being gentle and humble that looks like holding tightly to Jesus and, and loosely to other things. And so this morning, I just want to illustrate that idea for you. If this cross, you know, we know that Jesus is still not on the cross, that he is, you know, risen and sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven interceding for us. But if this cross was taken to represent our faith in Jesus, and these journals were, were you know, my thoughts, my opinions my ideas, you know, my political leanings, you know, my convictions, 
what kind of coffee I like, uh, all those kind of things. If these were these were like my kind of thoughts and ideas about the issue of the day, and this represented Jesus. This represented my faith. This represented Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, the one God, the one Father, the one Spirit, the one hope. If, if these two things uh, were representing those things, then these things are important. They're meaningful to me. But, but what we fall into the trap of sometimes is gripping these tightly with both hands and, and just kind of flip-flopping around with Jesus. What I want to encourage us to do as a church is, is to not you know, completely dismiss this stuff. We can have conversation around this stuff. But what I want us to do is to grip tightly to Jesus and hold this stuff with open hands. And ultimately, even though I've just said I'm not saying we should throw all this out, ultimately, what we really need to do is just let go of that so that we can grip to Jesus with two hands. Because this stuff, this stuff fits in the category of all this will fade away. But this is eternal. And ultimately, we will be left with clinging to Jesus with both hands and we won't care about that stuff anymore. Let's hold tightly to Jesus and hold gently to the things of this world. And so the way for us as a church, we're going to explore a couple other things over the next couple of weeks, but, but above all else and foundationally for us as a church, the way to move forward is in unity. I don't believe we can move forward as a church divided. And so again, I, I want to urge Yas Community Baptist Church to make every effort through patience, through putting up with one another, through gentleness, through humility, through clinging tightly to Jesus, to fixing our eyes on Him who is eternal and, and not fixing our eyes and dividing over the temporary and temporal things of this world. I want to urge us to make every effort to keep the unity of the church. Now, of course, this is not just about Yas Community Baptist Church. This is Jesus' heart for the entire global church. This is Jesus' heart for the church across the Yas Valley, across Australia. Uh, but what I want to uh, appeal to this morning is to the church that I'm speaking to right now to Yas Community Baptist Church, that we be an expression of the unity of God's church. That as we interact with one another, we would, we would do so in a way that keeps that unity. And I want to urge us to be a church that, that makes every effort to see the, the, the church across the Yas Valley, and indeed the church across this planet, live out the call to be united as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are united. And so I'm going to pray now for our church, for the Church of the Yas Valley, and for the global church. And then after I say Amen, we're going to worship one more time in song. Heavenly Father, I thank you that when it comes to the unity of the church, you could not have possibly made yourself more clear through your word. Your desire, your appeal through your son Jesus, through the Apostle Paul, 
through the other writers of, of the New Testament scriptures, your appeal is that the church would be united and not divided. And so I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would stir within us to fix our gaze on Jesus Christ, our Lord, to cling tightly to him and refuse as a church to be divided over the things of this world. I pray, Father, that you would stir within us the peace of the Holy Spirit, that we might be able to live out that supernatural call to unity. Father, help us to be patient. Help us to put up with one another. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be humble. We pray all this in the almighty name of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.